You're listening to episode 38 of the We Got the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about segment two of our How to Run guide, which is all about fueling. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. I'm your host, Letty Lundquist, and I invite you to join me as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make every run a good run. Hey runners, and welcome to episode 38. My name is Letty Lundquist, and we're back on session two of our Guide to Running series. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. How are you doing? Pretty good. That's great. So just to remind you guys, um, we're here again because we asked our running community what we would, what you guys would like to hear about. And the majority of responses kind of fit into the field of wanting to know the basics about running. So these are series for beginners and non-beginners because I think there's some really great expert information in there. So to remind you, last week we talked to elite coach and retired elite runner Ron Tab about physical aspects of running, including how, when, and what to do. And it was a really great episode. We got some great feedback. And if you missed it, you can always go back to episode 37 from last week. So, um, and this week we're going to talk about all things fueling. Nutrition is important. Nutrition is important. And there are many questions that we have about our bodies when it comes to dieting. Basically, my biggest question was how nutrition affects my running and what I can do best to fuel to where I have energy throughout the week and throughout the day and basically make every run a good run. <laughs> That's our motto. And don't eat too much before you run or you might regret it. Yep, you might regret it and you might be feeding the birds or whatever vultures live uh, <laughs> on the side of the road. You might live up to your podcast name also. <laughs> Yep, we might get the runs on a run if we don't listen to this podcast episode about nutrition. That's a good point, Ryan. <laughs> so today we're going to talk to the amazing Serena Marie. She's a registered dietitian and she's previously been a guest on one of our episodes. I think it was an episode about holiday eating for runners. You know, the episodes about that deal with um, what we do, how we phase the cookies that suddenly come into our lives in December. Ryan, did you listen to that episode? No. You did not? Okay. You missed out on some great information. I'm a bad listener. You are. You truly are. But you're a good speaker for the podcast, so I appreciate that. I just feel the, the dead voids in, the, in between your talking. It keeps me from having a monologue. <laughs> So anyway, Serena is super awesome and knowledgeable, and it was so fun to talk to her, and I'm going to play her interview now. All right, I'm back on with Serena. Serena, thank you so much for joining us again. Of course. Thank you for having me, Letty. I love chatting with you. Yeah, that was great. We had a great response to our last podcast episode with you. And so along the line with that, I wanted to talk to you about nutrition again for our beginning runners or runners that have been running for a while and just don't know any better. What would you tell our runners, the new runners? What are your biggest tips for the new runners? So for my new runners, I would say that, you know, there is lots of things that you're about to figure out about your body. That's something that's really exciting about becoming a runner is you have to learn all these new things about your body, right? Like what you can't eat before you head out for a run or you're going to get GI distress, right? Or how much water you need to drink. Otherwise, you're 
going to feel super duper thirsty and uncomfortable on your run. So, you know, it can feel almost frustrating and overwhelming that there's so much to learn. But I want you to remember that the way all of us you know, seasoned runners learned these things was by starting at the beginning and making mistakes and seeing all of these quote unquote mistakes as feedback, not failure. I always say to my clients, success is a squiggle. So we have to realize that we're going to make a mistake. We're going to learn a lesson from it. And then we're going to try and correct the course and inevitably make another mistake and learn a lesson from it. So just be patient with your body. Um, I really encourage you to realize that Increased appetite as you start to run more is normal. It's not something to be afraid of. Um, and really, I think trying to make sure that you're balancing your meals that are not coming before your workout with lots of fiber and protein is a really good way to keep your blood sugar balanced, stay fuller longer, and also help to replete your hungry muscles um, while you're working out more. And welcome to the running club. This is so exciting to have new runners um, in our community. I'm sure Letty agrees too. Absolutely. When it comes to nutrition, besides the obvious that we're burning more calories when we're running, what happens to your body when you run that is different for a runner versus a non-runner? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I think it's a really good question because so often people start running and they don't consider themselves a runner, right? Like they're like, oh, I'm just a person who runs and they don't realize like, okay, well, that makes you a runner. So so I love that we're kind of putting this in terms of like, what is happening to your body when you run, right? Like whether you consider yourself to be a runner or not, this is what's happening. So when we are pounding our body against the pavement, we are creating tiny little like micro tears in our muscles. And this is how our body adapts and rebuilds that muscle to become stronger, right? Those little tears are kind of sending a signal to your body that we need more calories, we need more fuel, we need more protein now because we are pounding the pavement and building a stronger muscle. So um, kind of like the change in muscle composition um, is going to kind of uh, be one of the reasons that we need to burn more calories. We're also moving more. So this is also a reason that now we need to consume more calories. Um, so, so kind of whether you consider yourself to be a runner or not, your body is making these adaptations. We're increasing more muscle mass, we're damaging muscles, we're moving our body more. And that's kind of one of the main differences between somebody who's more stationary and active. Okay, great. So then basically we just have different needs than the non-runners as runners. Yeah. Yeah. Different needs. Like I would say the, so when we're thinking of um, needs from the nutrition perspective, we kind of think of the macronutrients, which is protein, fat, and carbohydrate, the three macros. And um, as athletes or as runners or as people that just run, um, especially on the days you run, your macro needs are a little bit higher um, in that you need more protein and carbohydrate than the more stationary people because of you're moving more and because of the adaptations in your, your body um, because you are running. Okay, great. Yeah. So then that makes a lot of sense. And then what else are some basic dietary changes that we can anticipate? For example, do we need to drink more water? Do we add a certain amount of calories just um, in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that you started with hydration. So absolutely, we need to drink more. And I find in my virtual private practice that just in general, 
people, no one is not no one, but most people are not drinking enough water, even if my like inactive clients. So um, we really want to make sure we're drinking at least this is the bare minimum half of our body weight in ounces a day, right? So like 150 pound person should be drinking a minimum of 75 ounces of um, water a day. And this is before you sweat, before you work out, before you go out and mow the lawn in the hot and humid weather, right? We need that minimum amount. So what I always ask my clients is, where are you at now, right? Like, what are you drinking right now? And how do we very, you know, slowly but surely start to increase that daily amount to get us closer to that minimum and eventually past that minimum? So um, drinking more is absolutely essential. And then in terms of needing more calories, um, the answer is yes and no. So really things that are going to increase our calories is just like overall volume, right? So if you're somebody who just runs once a week for 20 minutes, you probably don't need a whole lot more calories than usual. But if you're someone now who is regularly running and you start to get into higher mileage, or if you're somebody who's doing lots of intense training, so we can kind of think of this as our needs increase as our mileage, our weekly mileage increases, as our intensity increases, which means like, are you doing elevation? Are you doing hill repeats? Are you doing speed training? Are you doing tempo training? And weightlifting, weights, um, as we start to um, add weightlifting to our routine, that also is going to increase our need for calories. So um, the answer is kind of yes and no in terms of like needing more calories. But in my experience, when I'm working with clients, so often are people so terrified to eat more that we kind of just start with food is good, food's not going to hurt you, food doesn't automatically make you fat, and kind of learning how to strategically use food to improve performance and help people feel better in their energy levels. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, can relate to all of the above, obviously, as a (laughs) runner. And um, that Mm -hmm. brings me to the big question that we all have, what are we supposed to eat more of or less of? And why is that important? Yeah, so you know, I don't think this is like a one size fit all answer. Um, But I will say, I think what becomes really important as runners, especially as you become somebody who is training consistently is nutrient timing. And what this means is, are we being really strategic with our pre-workout food? Um, If you're running more than 75 minutes, then our mid-workout food, and then our post-workout food. So what I mean by this is if you're somebody who's doing speed training, or a hill workout or run longer than 75 minutes, kind of trying to intentionally make sure you're fueling that run beforehand um, with a little bit of carbohydrate helps to keep our appetite under control the rest of the day and also helps us to get the best bang for our buck in that if you're going to push that performance, you want to make sure that you are pushing the pace as you know, as hard as you can, right? So that you get the most out of that workout so we can become a faster, fitter, stronger runner. So making sure you're having that pre-workout fuel is a good idea. And then post-workout, I find really even, no matter how intense or how long your workout was, really prioritizing having a protein and carbohydrate post-run is a really good idea. So um, a protein would be something like any kind of meat or food that comes from an animal like eggs or yogurt, Greek yogurt specifically, or um, maybe like a low-fat cheese or um, for my vegans and vegetarians, like edamame or tofu or seitan, and then pairing that with the carbs, a good idea. I think a general rule of thumb is as, as runners, we need more protein. And I think it's really, it's not, 
you have to be pretty intentional with trying to eat more protein. It's not like the easiest thing to accidentally do. So that's a really big part of what I do in my private practice is I help runners learn how to eat more protein without feeling like they're just eating like steak all day because no one wants to do that, obviously. Uh Is is it true that there's a certain window that, for example, when Mm. you're stopping to run, you've got 60 minutes to refuel with carbs? Because I think that information is out there. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, the the rule of thumb kind of changes depending on if you're working out once a day or twice a day. And whenever I say this, I always feel like people think I'm judging them if they're quote unquote only working out once a day. I am not saying that at all. I'm just giving you guys the information. So if you're working out twice a day, then it becomes really important to try and refuel your muscles within 30 minutes post-workout. So if you're going to be running in the morning and lifting at night or running in the morning and then running again at night, let's say, then we really want to prioritize getting our carbohydrates, enough carbohydrates in post-run within 30 minutes so that our body can recover in time or at least recover better in time for that second workout of the day. And this is unique because carbs really become like the more important nutrient to get um, when you're doing two a day workouts. Now, most of us are, are quote unquote, just <laughs> doing one workout a day. I'm just doing one workout a day, guys. I'm not judging you guys if you're just doing one as well. Um, we have a two hour window to refuel our muscles. And again, we really want to emphasize a meal of protein and carbohydrates. So we really are aiming to get 20 to 30 grams of protein plus carbohydrates within a two hour window post-workout. So um, it, there, there is some truth truth to that, but I think people maybe think it's like a little bit more rigid. Like they're like, you have 30 minutes, you have 60 minutes. It's really a <laughs> two hours. And, um, you know, I, I do encourage people listen to your hunger, listen to your body. You know, I'm not just saying because you have two hours, you should not eat for two hours. If you're feeling hungry, please eat sooner. But you do kind of have a two hour wiggle room where your body's a little bit more um, able to take sugar out of the bloodstream and use it to expedite recovery. Okay. That's the whole purpose to have sugar out of your bloodstream to expedite recovery. Is that why we have that? Yeah. So, so basically you have this two hour window um, and I'm kind of like simplifying it here, but basically when our body is post-workout, our muscles are looking to get energy in to one, heal the muscles and repair the muscles, right? We started at the beginning of this conversation talking about those little micro tears that happen during our workout, but also to to refuel the muscle. So to kind of stock back up on glycogen, which is our body stored sugar. So basically within that two two hour window post-workout, your cells kind of express these little, they're transporters. So I like to think of them as little doors almost. And it's like you have extra doors for the cells to open up and get sugar in. And after that two-ish hour window, those doors start to go away. It's almost like they get locked up. So you can't use them. And it's a little bit harder to get um, glycogen or, or, or sugar back into your cells. So we kind of have this opportunity where your cells are really like looking for food. And if you don't kind of, um, take advantage of it, you lock up the doors and you you kind of miss out on that chance to really help to expedite recovery and refuel your muscles. Thanks. That's really great information. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Science is really cool. And, you know, I think that's my favorite part of being a sports dietitian is, you know, I think so often we just hear these general rules of thumb on the internet, like carbs make you fat and, you know, fat is high in calories and we don't really understand the science behind it. So it's easy to really feel fearful of food. And it's my role as a 
sports dietitian is to kind of simplify the science so it doesn't seem so scary and you can kind of understand how to use food strategically. No, that's great. That's gold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So on the same line as that, when it comes to eating before a run, can you explain what the terms first fat adaptive and non-fat adaptive mean and what is recommended or what do you recommend to your clients do and why? Yeah, totally. So fat adapted training is a, you know, very hot term. Um, I feel like it's maybe losing a little bit of its uh, hotness uh, lately. I think that was something that maybe a year ago was super duper like in vogue, um, but definitely something that's been around. I mean, I've been a sports dietitian for like 10 years and we've been talking about this the whole time I've been in practice. So it's not going away. Um, so basically, essentially what this is, is you'll hear on the internet, which is not wrong, that carbohydrates are not essential, that we can function as endurance athletes well without carbohydrate or on a low carb diet. And that's true. Okay. So if you're like, I love low carb dieting, Okay, fine. That's true. Now, what I'm going to tell you as a sports dietitian who's concerned with, you know, overall quality of your health and also quality of life and also quality of your performance is that carbohydrates can really help us to one, perform better. The science and the literature is pretty robust that when you're comparing somebody who's a fat adapted athlete versus someone who uses carbs for fuel, that performance is improved when we rely on carbs or we use carbs. Herbs. Um, but that also, I think just when I'm working with my clients in my virtual private practice, it's easier to figure out how to use carbs strategically rather than avoiding them. Um, and I'm realizing as I'm talking, I never really explained what fat adapted means. So I apologize. Um, so fat adapted basically means when an athlete chooses to go low carb or minimize carbohydrates. And what your body does is it adapts to burn fatty acids for fuel. So you would go on this endurance um, event or run this long run. Run, and rather than using carbs to kind of um, re-up your glycogen stores, that stored sugar we were just talking about, you would rely on stored fat or fatty acids. Now, the argument for this is that we have a limited amount of carbohydrate stores and we have a pretty unlimited amount of fatty acids stored. So it's kind of like this effect or this like coveted effect of never hitting the wall, quote unquote, because you can just kind of use uh, fat for fuel because you're not, you're not running out of that store. Um, I will say fat adapted athletes, they need to supplement um, electrolytes, they need to supplement magnesium and sodium, because they are kind of leaning on a process that is not the preferred process for the body. Um, but it, but it is possible. So that's kind of the difference between fat adapted and non fat adapted training is one athlete would be leaning on um, like fasted workouts or very low carb workouts. And the um, athlete who's not fat adapted is going to be using carbohydrates uh, strategically for fuel. So, you know, I, I definitely have a bias. So I always want to be upfront about this, right? Because ultimately I, I try to be a scientist, but I'm not right. I'm a person who works with human beings. So I definitely have a lot of 
mm, a lot of preconceived ideas because not only am I reading literature, but I'm also applying these tactics with people and human beings and seeing how it affects their quality of life and um, how sustainable it is for people. But the other thing that is really cool about understanding sports nutrition is that what and what I do with my clients is once we understand sports nutrition, once we understand how to use carbs um, strategically, and once we make sure my clients are overall getting enough fuel, is we start to add some fat adaptive training. And so you can eat carbs and yet tap into this fat adaptive response. And the way we kind of do this is we choose one to two runs per month for you know a certain period of time, and we run them fasted. And what this does is it gives your body a chance to practice burning fat for fuel, but without you having to follow a low carb lifestyle. The literature is iffy on kind of like how effective this is, but there's enough literature out there to say that it could work and it could help. And it doesn't hurt my athletes because overall they know how to fuel. So this is kind of something I do with my athletes in a later stage once we've really gotten their fueling down path. That's great. Yeah, that's super interesting. Let us know how it goes. Another question of ours is what about the effect of caffeine before your runs? Yeah. So, um, so this is a good question and it kind of relates to fat adaptive training. So having caffeine before runs, even if we are using carbohydrate in our diet, um, can actually help us burn a little bit more fat for fuel. So when we go running, even if you're eating carbs, you're using a combination of fatty acids and carbs. It's not like soul sugar and having caffeine before the run can actually help to increase the amount of fat you're burning. So that's kind of cool. Um, But the really cool thing about caffeine is that having caffeine before our runs helps to blunt our nervous system's um, ability to kind of sense pain or discomfort. So in general, you can push a little harder without feeling so uncomfortable because your nervous system is kind of like numbed out by that caffeine. So it's really good for performance enhancing effects is having caffeine um, before our runs or even those gels that have caffeine in them during your run. I usually have my, you know, competitive athletes kind of swap like caffeine, caffeinated gel for uncaffeinated gel back and forth so that they're getting little hits to their nervous system during their runs. Interesting. Another good theory. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really cool what sports nutrition can do. Yeah. And then when it comes to, as you just mentioned, during the run and fueling and having those gels, how long into a run should a person try a fuel and um, what type of fueling should that be? So again, this nutrition is so individualized um, that I work with runners who use real food. So things like grapes or um, like raisins or cranberries or potato bread. Um, and especially like my ultra marathoners, they, we tend to practice using real food as well. Um, versus I have athletes who are leaning on generation you can, which is a very special type of super starch that requires its own fueling process versus the more traditional, like using gels. So it kind of depends on which um, type of fuel the athlete wants to try and seeing what kind of fuel works well in their body, right? Because some of us have more sensitive bellies where GI distress is an issue. Some of us have iron stomachs. Um, But I think if we're just kind of giving a general rule of thumb, most commonly people are using things like goos and gel packs. So maybe that's what we should kind of dive into today, just because I think that will kind of help the the vast majority of people listening. Um, So I would say if you are using a traditional gel, a goo, a honey stinger, 
Um, I really like science and sport. That's my favorite gel brand. Um, you would start to take, you would take your first pack around 45 minutes. So 45 ish minutes, you would take your first gel and then you would repeat taking those gels. And again, this is really individualized depending on the athlete every like 30 to 45 minutes. So the goal is really to get between like 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour up until about that two and a half, three hour event. And that's why as we get into these ultra distances that um, the nutrition plan changes because for runners that are going to be running like, you know, four hours, five hours, six hours plus, we need to start um, changing their fueling strategy around because your needs increase, but our ability to tolerate all that sugary goo becomes less and less and less tolerable because it's pretty gross. Um, so yeah, so like I said, if you're just running just quote unquote training for a marathon, <laughs> then you really would want to kind of start with these gels where you're taking one at 45 minutes and then you're reporting, you're repeating every 30 to 45 minutes and playing around with your hydration as well. Okay. And then my last question, so when you're done with your run and you're outside of that two hour window that we've discussed earlier, what foods in general are pretty good for recovery, particularly for runners? So we're not talking about like immediately post-workout, right? You're just saying like generally in the days post-marathon as you're kind of taking it easy and recovering. Yeah, post-marathon or post-long run too, I guess, because we probably, if you're training for a marathon, a half marathon, you have a long run every week. So on those days when you're done running and you've you've uh, refueled for, you know, within those two hours after running mm -hmm. and then just the rest of the day, what should that look like? Yeah. So again, nutrition is individualized. I hate, I sound so annoying, but I don't mean to be. Um, so I think immediately what jumps into my mind is kind of two different types of runners. Some runners find that their stomach in their appetite is really, um, maybe their stomach sour or maybe their appetite is suppressed after a long run or a hard run. And this isn't because your body is telling you like, we don't need food. It's actually because your nervous system is stressed out from the intensity of the effort. And it's kind of messing with your ability to hear your hunger. So the way I like to describe it to my clients is when we evol evolved a a billion years ago or whatever, when we evolved millions and billions <laughs> of years ago, um, you know, we were running and our body was getting stressed out when you were getting chased by like a lion, right? So, you know, evolutionarily, it wouldn't make any sense for this lion to be chasing you and for you to get hungry and stop to pick berries because that lion would gobble you up. So even though nowadays, you know, you and I are intentionally going out on this like two hour run, our body kind of still is thinking that it's being chased by a lion. And so our appetite, just our nervous system suppresses our appetite just because it's trying to conserve energy or conserve um, itself so that you don't get hungry and stop and get gobbled up by a lion. And so sometimes that, that kind of effect, that stress just kind of hangs out in your body. So even though you finished running three hours ago, you still don't have increased appetite. So what I encourage my athletes to do is to drink their calories and being strategic with the foods they're drinking. So really what we want to do is have some 
So again, we're not talking about the immediate post two hours. We're talking about like the rest of the day here. I would say maybe making things like soups with veggies, some high fiber carbs. So maybe some like bean pasta to get some extra protein and fiber in there. Um, and some like, you know, nice broth, um, maybe a veggie broth or like a chicken broth, get some nice electrolytes and sipping on that the rest of the day is a good way to get your body the healthy energy that it needs, the carbs and the fiber, the fiber rich carbs and protein that it needs, but also not be too upsetting to your diminished appetite. Smoothies are excellent too. Healthy fats like avocado or nut butter will help to reduce the fire of inflammation that kind of comes along as a runner. Um, and then adding some healthy carbs in there again. So maybe some fruits and veggies, maybe some spinach or um, cauliflower to that smoothie and um, some, some kind of protein as well. So maybe some protein powder or some Greek yogurt. So smoothies and soups or like even cereals are a good idea if you're somebody with a diminished appetite the day of a long run. If you're somebody who's like, I cannot relate to what you're talking about after a long run, I am starving all day. That's okay too. We have a plan for you. So really, again, we're emphasizing high fiber carbs, protein, Proteins and healthy fats. So things like maybe if you made yourself um, a quesadilla with some refried beans, which are rich in protein and fiber, and um, maybe add some avocado slices on there, that's a good way to kind of help satiate our appetite. Um, if you, again, you could do a smoothie as well. So like an avocado with nut butter and banana, maybe sneak in some spinach in there. That's a great um, satiating and filling um, food combination, but really just kind of looking for that high fiber carb, that protein and those healthy fats, the rest of the day. Um, you know, I find we get very munchy and we tend to just munch on like chips or pastries or bagels. And, you know, not that those foods are bad necessarily, but they're not really going to help you to stay fuller longer. And that's the thing that I hear athletes complaining of so often is, you know, some of my athletes aren't hungry at all. And then other of my athletes are starving all the time. And we got to just kind of figure out a plan for each of those categories of people. That's so interesting. And thanks for explaining that. I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, after a hard run, I'm the person being chased by a lion. I just, uh -huh. you know, almost at the point of feeling nauseated. So yeah. it's, it's really good that you explained why that happens that you're, you know, after a hard marathon are on the verge of throwing up. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think for, you know, I think that's like a really extreme case, which, but it's also common. Thank you so much, Serena. That was great as always. Thank you. I had so much fun chatting with you. So Serena, for those who want to get in touch with you and learn more about you and your practice, how can they do that? Yeah. So I um, love Instagram. So if you follow me, Serena Marie RD on Instagram, I spell my name like the tennis player, S-E-R-E-N-A Marie RD. Um, I have lots of awesome information um, in my posts and on my stories. And um, I would love for you to reach out to me. Let me know that you listen to this podcast. And um, also I have a website, serenamarierd.com. And when you go there, you can sign up for my totally free training tutorial on what to eat before a run or my pre-workout video tutorial. That's a pretty cool resource. Um, yeah, but serenamarierd.com or follow me at serenamarierd on Instagram. And I have a really awesome um, virtual community called the Food Freedom Fit Fam. And that's a group of active women who are learning how to not only make peace with food, learn how to fuel their active bodies, but also kind of just general self-care tips so that we can take care of ourselves and our bodies. Um, the rest of our lives. Great. Thank you, Serena. Thank you so much. Thank you, Letty. 
Thanks again, Serena. That was a great interview and I had fun talking to you. Did you like the interview? Some interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. So um, I hope you guys follow Serena Marie on Instagram. Her information is always on point and her stories are kind of fun to watch. So Ryan, what are some other things that you can think of we do differently when it comes to eating and running besides, you know, avoiding trying to get the runs on a run? <laughs> so when you run... If you're running a lot of distance and, you know, you're losing a lot of electrolytes with sweating and things like that, then, you know, you do have to replace some of those. I know people drink Gatorade for everything nowadays, but it's probably not needed unless you're actually in the, you know, higher mileage or endurance levels. But other than that, and then and then eating. Yeah, you can attest to the cravings, right? Because when you go out on a 20-mile bike ride, or really anything active, you have a different appetite than you normally do and you kind of indulge a little bit more. Yeah, well, I enjoy that too. I mean, it's, it's, I think just eating a big meal is not necessarily pleasurable to me. I'm not a big eater. You're not. But, <laughs> um, but after a long like bike ride or a long run, then it's fun to me to have a nice big meal. And not that like, you felt like you earned it. It's just like you're actually really hungry then. To, or at least I am. I mean, everyone's a little different, I know, but. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the basic things that come to my mind that are different is obviously, you know, you don't run on a full stomach, but a couple of tips I have is um, to experiment with fueling during your training and not to wait till it's race time to do so. Because, you know, when you do a half marathon or a full marathon, they always have the sponsored gel there and not all of them might work with your bowels. And then also, um, when it comes to fueling during a race along the lines of that, it might be a smart thing to carry some kind of belt so you can carry whatever you're used to, you know, something convenient, something convenient. Um, and you know, just kind of like you were saying, everybody's different and everybody reacts differently to water intake, electrolyte intake and, uh, and fueling. So we should do a podcast episode called accessorize accessorize your runs <laughs> that should be one of the basic ones right <laughs> i can think of a million accessories i'm a sucker for those i'm like the opposite <laughs> you have to convince me to wear a watch <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of nice to have a watch because you can track all your runs you're lucky i leave with shorts on half the time <laughs> You'd be a streaker. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> thanks for tuning in and um, we'll be back next week. Have a great week of running. Bye. Thanks for listening. For training tips, previous podcast episodes, and fun merchandise for runners, please check out our website at wgtr.us. That's wgtr.us. And as always, have a wonderful week of running. <laughs>